Well, I hope you've been enjoying our study on Galatians. Um, it has been a good study, and I appreciate Pastor Paul and Brother Steve bringing the word for us. And uh, Galatians is, is a strong book. It's one of Paul's uh, stronger books. You know, in, I think it's Corinthians 1. It talks about how Paul wrote a strong letter to the Corinthians. And unfortunately, we don't have that letter, but I would imagine Galatians is something like that. There's a, there's a strong undertone. But it's because, not because Paul is uh, mean or uh, has an agenda, but it's because he's passionate about, his, about Jesus Christ and about the gospel. So sometimes, you know what it, when you're passionate about something, sometimes you could come across a little bit harsh, a little bit strong, right? But, and that's kind of what Paul does here. So I, by way of, uh, of review, I do want to go over chapter one very briefly, because if you're like me, you've slept since last Wednesday, and some of those things that you've learned have, have left. Did you give one to everybody? All right. Great. And we can thank Brother Tony for making those copies. Thank you, Brother Tony. So in the very first part of Galatians, he opens up his, this epistle in a very unusual way. He, instead of saying, you know, Paul and Timothy to the church at Galatia, he opens it up saying, Paul an apostle. The very first words that, that come in this, in this epistle are Paul an apostle. He wants to establish his authority because his authority is being undermined by some people in Jerusalem. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit in, in depth here in a minute. But um, the very first five verses are actually just that introduction that Paul is saying that there is no other gospel but the gospel that he has preached. Now, if you look in verses 6 through 10, this is, this is another section where Paul starts out and he says, I marvel that you are turning away so quickly from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Now. Um, this is kind of, kind of shocking because in some translations it says, I'm astonished that you are turning away. And his astonishment is because of the quickness of their turning. You know, Paul had just preached to them, and here they are turning away from the gospel. Um, that indicates to me that their feet weren't firmly in the ground yet. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about how the sower goes out and sows in the field. And some of, the, some of the, so, the seed gets into the soil, but the soil is only so deep because the, the ground is rocky. Well, apparently for these folks, they, their seed was sown, but it was on rocky soil. And they had so quickly turned from the gospel, and then it says that they, they were called or, or they were turned to a different gospel. Now, of course, Paul then says in the next verse, he says, there is really no other gospel uh, but the one gospel that, that Paul preaches. But do you already see here that there's a divide between 
Paul's, what Paul is teaching and what is being taught by those, uh, Paul calls them agitators, the agitators at Jerusalem. It seems like there's a divide in the gospel. And don't you know that the devil didn't give the church hardly any time before he started wiggling his way in to try to destroy it? You know, Satan was there the first day of, of the birth of the church, and he was wanting to destroy it. It reminds me in Revelation of the, the woman that is about to give birth, and the, and the dragon's right there to eat up the baby. You know, it's, it's a very similar thing there. But, um, but, the, but Paul is trying to set things straight with this epistle. He's trying to say that there is no other gospel but the one that I have delivered to you and he also says that I didn't receive the gospel from Peter. I didn't receive it from John or for James, the brother, brother of Jesus, or for any of these other folks. I received it directly from a revelation of God. Now, um, if you've ever talked to somebody and they tell you God told them something, it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to override that, you know, because uh, when God tells you something, that's, well... Sometimes you just have to move on to the next person. But, um, but in Paul's, for Paul, God did tell him this gospel. And in fact, Paul did not go immediately to Peter and say, you know, let's, let's talk about what I got versus what you received from Jesus, you know. Uh, he did not do that. Where, did it, where does the Bible say he went? Didn't he go to the, to the desert? Basically, he went to Arabia, which is what we, we now call Saudi Arabia, I guess. But he went to the desert. And, you know, what, the Bible doesn't say what he did in the desert. I mean, we can imagine what he did. And I'm assuming that he was getting close to God, right? I mean, that's... But he could also have been preaching to those people, um, Whoever, whoever lives in the desert, uh, he might just preach to any, anything that would listen to him, right? <laughs> Paul was not a very inspiring speaker. Um, he, he says as much, uh, and he, uh, remember he was uh, preaching one night, so late in the night that Elamus fell out of the, <laughs> he fell out of the window and, you know, Paul had to go, uh, Jesus actually resurrected him, but uh, but apparently, whatever Paul was preaching put him to sleep. But, um, but Paul was in the desert learning from God what this gospel was that he was to present to the, the Gentile believers. Now, remember that, that Paul was specifically sent to the Gentiles. The Greek word that's used there is ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnicity. You hear that a lot these days. But ethnos meant the the other, the Gentile, anyone who's not a Jew. And this is the people to whom the Apostle Paul was sent. Now, um, when we go on to verses 11 through 17, this starts getting into a more like an autobiographical part where Paul is talking about his call to, uh, to being an apostle and exactly what. Um, he did after he received the gospel. So if you look in uh, verse 11 with me, I'll just read through. It says, but 
I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't state specifically here what, what he means by received it from man. I, but it might be assumed that he meant Peter specifically, um, or one of, the, one of the apostles in Jerusalem. And then in verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my former conduct in, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, he revealed his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, this was, this was Paul's calling, his recollection of what happened. Now, a lot of this um, is actually given to us in Acts. And if you read in Acts chapter 9, that is Paul's conversion. Acts chapter 10 is Cornelius', Cornelius, as Cornelius conversion. And then um, a lot of the, the history that's going on during the time of, the, of this writing of Galatians is actually happening in Acts chapter 13 and 14. So if you want to supplement your reading while we're studying the book of Galatians, you need to read Acts chapter 13 and 14, because that's when Paul actually goes through the different cities like Lystra and Derby and is ministering to uh, those people, the people who we're talking about tonight. So, so then it says um, in verse 15 of chapter 1, this is, we're doing a little review, uh, that it pleased God to call him being separated from his mother's womb, called him through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Notice what he says next. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned to Damascus, again to Damascus. So he was in Arabia for about three years. and. If you consider that he was um, converted around 34 B.C. Now, remember when Jesus died? 33 B.C. or somewhere thereabouts. So Paul's conversion was very, let's say it's just a year after the, the resurrection of Jesus. And if you add three years to that, um, you get to 37 B.C. <laughs> and so then he says he went he returned to Damascus after being in Arabia. And then finally, in, in verses 18 through the end of that chapter, he says he did go to see Peter. But you'll notice how long he remained with him, only for 15 days. That was, you know, Paul is making an argument here that that really wasn't long enough for him to receive any kind of teaching or, or doctrine from Peter that would, um, that, you know, that Paul could say, well, I got this from Peter. And so in verse 19, it says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning these things, which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. And afterward, I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which we were, 
which were in Christ, but they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So the churches are hearing about Paul in, in uh, Jerusalem, but they, he hasn't really met with anyone there yet. So <clears throat> that brings us to chapter 2. And chapter 2 begins with the word then. So that's kind of an odd way to begin a, a, new, a new thought, but then just means that there was stuff before it. And we've looked at, at the stuff before it. So now the next thing on the agenda is that after 14 years, Paul goes up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and also he took Titus with him. Now, I want us to kind of break this down uh, verse by verse so that you can kind of digest this. But, but before I go any further, I just want to tell you that I'm going to talk in uh, kind of chunks here. So one of these chunks, I'll say, is chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And everything in there kind of holds together as one story. And then chapter 2, verses 11 through um, through 15, and then 16 through the end. So there's, in this chapter here, are kind of three different sections that I want to focus on. And this first section is, continues Paul's autobiography, where he's talking about all the things that happened to him um, during the first years uh, while he was in the ministry. So when it says 14 years after we're assuming that that means 14 years after his conversion. And remember I said it was 34 B.C. So if you add 14 to 34, you get 49. Okay, so this was around 49 years. Um, they say 49 A.D. after death, right? So this was about 49 years. And that's about when they say the book of, of Galatians was written, was in 49. And when you think about that, we're still within 10 or 15 years of, of Jesus being on earth. I mean, this was early, early in the history of the church. So, so he says, 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. What's interesting about this verse is that Barnabas is a Jew and Titus is a Greek. Okay, so you have to kind of think through this. Why would, why would Paul bring with him both a Jew and a Gentile with him to meet the disciples or the apostles in Jerusalem? Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile, but he was a converted Christian. So that, that, that's kind of what's going on during the church now is that there were Jews who were converting to Christianity, and, and some of them were okay with, uh, you know, with Paul's gospel, which said that you didn't have to follow the circumcision, and you didn't have to follow the, the rules of the law, the moral, or the, I'm sorry, the, the ceremonial laws that the Jews had. But then there were others that were saying no, you have to follow, you can believe in Jesus, that's fine, but you also have to follow the laws of Moses, and you also have to be circumcised. So when Paul brings Titus with him, it's kind of like a, it's a bold statement. 
um, it's, it's almost like um, it's a shock for a Gentile to be brought to Jerusalem, which is kind of the mother church. You know, it's like home base. <laughs> and for, for Paul to bring Titus with him um, is a little bit out of the realm, I think. But Paul does this, and there must be some anxiety in, in Paul because, this, because he wants to visit the Jerusalem uh, apostles to get their um, anointing or to get their stamp of approval on what he has been preaching for the last, you know, 15 years. Um, so when, he, when they go up, Paul has these things on, on his mind. Are they, you know, is Peter and James and John going to accept what I've been preaching? And are they going to make Titus, are they going to circumcise him? So these are the two big questions that Paul has. And then in verse 2 it says, And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I run or had run in vain. So this lets you know, this gives you an insight into Paul's mind. He is coming to Jerusalem but primarily because he was told in a revelation to come to Jerusalem, but he wants to make sure that his ministry, the preaching that he's done, means something, is of value. He doesn't want to have to have, have gone through 15 years of ministry and it all been for nothing, all been for a waste. So he, he comes, but he comes privately. Do you notice that? It says that it's a private meeting with the apostles and those uh, who were of reputation. So, so what's interesting about that is that um, this was a private meeting, although it says later on that these, in verse 4, that there were some brethren who were secretly brought into this meeting to spy out their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, notice that. Um, there's a closed-door meeting, and then apparently somebody opened the door and let some people in who shouldn't have been there. <laughs> um, and, and who are these people? Paul calls them the spies. He calls them agitators, people that are only there to cause problems, only there to stir up strife. Um, and it, it says in verse 4, to search out our liberty, which we have in Jesus Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. Now, if you say the word bondage to a Jew, they're going to think they're immediately going to go back to Egypt, the bondage and the slavery of Egypt. And this is what Paul is, is saying that we have been freed from, this, this bondage and slavery uh, of, of the law of Moses. Verse 5 says, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour to the truth of the that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 15 with me, you'll see the message that these that these agitators preach. Look at chapter 15 and verse 1. 
and it, they give you the slogan that they preached. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so that's their message. And Paul's message is exactly opposite of that. Paul's message is, if you become circumcised, if you're a Gentile, you're putting yourself under the bondage of, of the law of Moses. And Paul, Paul says, if you do this, if you become circumcised, then you have to obey the entire law. You are now obligated, he says, to obey the entire law. Now, I want to make clear here that you understand that circumcision in the Middle East among the Jews had to do with cutting a covenant is what it's called, that there had to be blood that was shed for a covenant to be cut or a covenant to be made. And if you want to read uh, Genesis chapter 17, that's the first time circumcision comes into view in the Bible. But today we do medical circumcision on, on our boys, not necessarily because it's a religious thing, but because it's a medical thing. So I want you to understand there's two separate things here. Uh, we're not talking about medical circumcision. We're talking about religious circumcision. For the Jews to be circumcised meant you are separated from the rest of the world. You are God's chosen person because you have this mark on you, um, and no one else does. So this sets you aside. It sets you apart from the goyim, or the, the, uh, the people of the nations, the, the Greeks and the Romans and all those. Um, so this is very important to Paul, because circumcision to him means slavery to the law and slavery to the, the things of the past. Um, also look in chapter 15 and verse 5. It says, But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So this was their mantra. Must be circumcised. You could believe in Jesus. That's fine. But you also must be circumcised. You also must follow the law of Moses. So, if you understand that, it makes it a little bit easier to understand the, the argument that Paul is trying to make here. Um, Paul wants to go to Jerusalem specifically so that he can get the blessing. In, in other words, he wants to make sure that he's on the same page. His gospel is on the same page with the, the people that are in Jerusalem, the Peter, James, and John. So let's look at chapter 2 and verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. So I want to stop there. Because remember I said there was some anxiety. Paul may have had some anxiousness about this meeting. He wanted it to go well. Don't you want meetings to go well? <laughs> he wanted this meeting especially to go well because he wanted validation for his ministry. And so the first thing that we see, if you go back up a little bit to verse chapter 2, verse 3, the first thing Paul was a little bit nervous about was if they were going to circumcise Titus, but it says, yet not even Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. 
So even though he met with the authorities in Jerusalem, they did not compel um, Titus to be circumcised. Now, I read a commentary that said he could have gone ahead and been circumcised, but he was not compelled. That's a little bit different. They did not force him to be. Whether or not he did, it doesn't say here. But then the next thing that Paul, was on Paul's mind is in verse 6 where it says um, that, let's see, uh, but for those who seem to be something, whatever there were, it makes no difference to me. God shows par, par, uh, personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. This word added nothing to me means that when Paul told them Look here, Peter, James, and John. Here's what I've, I've been preaching this, you know, last 15 years. They could have said, okay, well, that's good, but I want you to add this to what you're saying. Or I want you to add something to your gospel that is lacking. And for Paul, for them to add nothing meant that he was right on target, that his gospel was exactly what Peter was preaching. And so their gospels lined up, and that was to Paul a, um, a big relief for him because he wanted his gospel to match up with what, what the Jerusalem church was preaching. And then verse 7 says, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter... For he worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to be to the circumcised. Another word for that is the Jews, and also worked effectively to, in me toward the Gentiles or anyone who was not a Jew. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and to the circumcised. So this, is, this, this meeting that could have turned out badly actually turned out really good. <laughs> and everything that Paul may have been worried about ended up he didn't have to worry about it because it, was all, uh, it all worked out in his favor. Now, I want you to kind of key into where it says, like in verse 6, it says, but those who seem to be something, and in verse 9 it says, James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars. I think in our modern mind, we could read that and we could think, um, well, they think they're something. You know, they seem to be. You know, people who are a little bit hypocritical, who seem to be something that they're not. I think we could read that into this, but that's not what Paul is saying. Paul comes from a perspective that, that in Christ, if you are in Christ, there is neither male nor female, uh, a servant, someone who is a bond servant or who is a freed person, someone who is a Greek, someone who's circumcised or uncircumcised. To Paul, he said, when you come to Christ, your identity is Christ. So whatever other identity you have, you might still be a slave, but when you're in the church, there is a there is a equalness, there is a um, equality there, um, which which is not in the outside world. And he's saying here that um, 
Peter, James, and John, not that they seem to be something or, or that they are, are glorified some way, but Paul is just saying that they are, they are, the, um, they are considered to be the primary or the, the face of the church. So, so let's go on to verse 9. Um, again, where it says, James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, and they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. I want to underscore that because when God called you to do something, when just imagine what happened to Paul here. The idea is that Paul didn't do things the right way. <laughs> you know, there was... The right way would have been for him to have gone to Peter and kind of got Peter's blessing, and then he could have gone out and preached. But Peter, or Paul says very distinctly here, I made it a point not to go up for, you know, 14 years, and then finally by revelation, I did go up and I talked to Peter and the apostles. So, to... um. They perceived that the grace of God had been given to me. When, when someone is called to a position or, you know, to an office in the church, that calling comes from God, right? And the church itself, the body of church, the body of believers, often are the ones that will say, "Oh, you're you're really good at singing," <laughs> or "Yeah, you're a good teacher," or whatever, and and they confirm that in that person. And so this is, this is what is happening with, with Paul, is that he is getting that confirmation. He is getting that boost from the, uh, the authorities at the church in Jerusalem. And the right hand of fellowship is, you know, we do that sometimes when we have new members and we'll give them the right hand of fellowship. That's just, that just means that that's the approval. That's the stamp of approval that, that Paul has received from the apostles. And then finally, in verse 10, it says, They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. So I just want to point out here that, that Paul, um, it says that he was eager to, to help the poor. If you read uh, 2 Corinthians, especially chapters 8 and 9, it talks about a special gift that he was going around to various cities to collect to take back to the, the church in Jerusalem. So Paul had a very special heart for the poor. One of the things I think is very important about this particular part of the book of Galatians is that we must stay the course of the gospel. So there's so much, um, <laughs> there's so many different gospels out there these days that it's very, it's very hard to keep uh, focused on what the true gospel is. And um, you know, I, I just think about all the different denominations that we have where there's just a very a variation of belief about this or a variation of belief about that. And I wonder if Paul would have, what Paul would have done, uh, you know, with that. And, uh, but it's important for us to stay true to the gospel, that what has been handed down to us that we deliver to our children and that we make sure that our Pentecostal values are going down to the next generation. Um, we're all going to be judged off that. 
you know, God will judge us according to how faithful we've been to the gospel. Um, and so here Paul has been true to the gospel, and he, it's kind of like Peter was the plumb line, and Paul, Paul was plumb, right? So he was, he was preaching the gospel. Now, the next part is a little bit tough because this is where we get into a confrontation. Anybody like confrontation? Nobody? Okay. Well, Peter gets confronted here. And um, once again, when I opened up with the teaching tonight, I talked about passion. I think, I think that's what's going on here. Paul is very passionate, and I think the passion is coming out. Um, Look at verses 11. We'll start there. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. That means I got in his face. (laughs) Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing. So you might want to underline or circle fearing those who were of the circumcision, or the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite. Now, that, now I've got the New King James Version. I don't know what yours says, but play the hypocrite is, is, is what is being meant there with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So what's going on here? Let's, let's try to break this down so it could be understandable. Peter, Paul was already in Antioch. Antioch was a huge uh, Christian center. So there was Jerusalem, which was kind of the first mother church. Remember, Jesus says, start ministering in Jerusalem, and then where? Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. Well, Jerusalem is that center mother church from which all the apostles went out. And the word apostle means sent. So, um, so they were sent out. They were apostolos from, the, from Jerusalem. Okay, now Peter comes to Antioch. And when he gets to Antioch, the church has already been established there. There's they're probably a large congregation because it's a large city. And so when Peter comes, um, at first, Peter is sitting with everybody at the table, whether they're circumcised or uncircumcised. He's, he's sitting with everybody, having a good time. Now, this, this idea of sitting with or, or eating with could mean an actual meal, like sitting with them, or it could mean a communion meal. So we don't know exactly what is meant here, but you could assume that Paul is living there in Antioch. He's eating with them an actual meal, and he's communing with them in the church service. So Paul notices the difference when these, these men from James, look at chapter uh, 2, verse 12. These certain men from James, from the mother church, from Jerusalem come, and he says Paul was in the habit of eating with the Gentiles. It was, the, the Greek there is he was habitually eating with them. As a, as a daily routine, but when these, gen, when these um, certain men from James came who were of the circumcision party, notice what Paul does, or, or Peter. It says that he withdrew and separated himself. 
Now, why do you think he did that? The answer is in the Bible. Fear. He feared those who were of the circumcision. So, now we need to think through this. We need to apply this to ourselves. You know, this is where it gets tough. You know, what, what makes us afraid to do what God wants us to do? <laughs> Isn't fear like the sum total of the reason why we don't do what God asks us to do? Like, God, I can't talk to that person. God, I can't witness. You know, what's behind that? It's a fear that they'll think you're stupid or they'll reject you, you know, right? Shouldn't Christians have at least some rejection on your resume? <laughs> I mean, just a little bit, because Jesus did say, they rejected me, they'll reject you. So, um, so here it says that Peter, for fear, withdrew from, not from all of them. Now, that's the, that's the key. He withdrew from the uncircumcised, but he kept eating with the circumcised, the people that were um, circumcised Jews who believed in Jesus. So Paul saw that, and he saw the hypocrisy of that. And in verse 13, it says that, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, Barnabas was the guy, if you go back to Acts chapter 4, who led Paul to the apostles. (laughs) I mean, Barnabas is, in fact, look at Acts chapter 14 with me. Acts chapter 14 and verse 14. And that will give me a little bit of a chance to drink. All right. Now, if your version says what my version does, it says, but when the apostles with an S, that means plural. That means they're talking about Barnabas and Paul. That's just an interesting thing that I'm throwing out there, that Barnabas was considered an apostle according to that verse. The apostles, Barnabas and Paul. So when we, when we see that Barnabas was pulled away by Peter, we need to be a little bit shocked and amazed there, church. That means that, Pete, that Barnabas, who was this real strong apostle, was pulled away from the, the, from the true faith because, because of Peter. Now, we should be reminded of those scriptures that say that even the elect can be deceived because that's what's happening here. I would imagine that Barnabas is quite elect because he's an apostle, right? So for him, to be, for him to be pulled away and drawn back means that there was some serious hypocrisy going on. And <clears throat> what Paul is, is most concerned about is that they acted with insincerity and no personal conviction. It, in other words, Peter was not sold on this idea that, that um, he should be eating with uncircumcised people even though it's the same Peter that had the vision of the sheet that came down in Acts chapter 10, if you want to read that, and it talks about 
uh, the words from God says, do not call unclean what I have called clean. <laughs> and Peter took that to mean that the, that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but for the uncircumcised Gentiles as well. So here we have this insincerity in the Apostle Paul, and Peter points it out to him. Uh, and if you want to look in 1 Corinthians, you can just write this down, but 1 Corinthians 7, 19, Paul makes the, makes the statement that there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither of them mean anything. And so Paul has to call this out. Now, notice how Paul calls it out. Somebody might have told Paul, I don't, I don't know, he might have had it in his head, you know, I'm not really going to confront him publicly. What's better to do is just kind of take Peter aside. Come on, Peter, over here. I have something to tell you. That might have been maybe the nicer thing to do. I don't know. But that's not how Paul decided to do this. He decided to openly, and he, in front of the church, was going to publicly rebuke Peter. Now, contrast that to um, uh, Peter's, uh, let's see, contrast that to Paul when they had the, that private meeting. <laughs> Paul has the private meeting with Peter, but then they have to have this public meeting in the church service. And so in verse 14, going on in, in verse 14, it says, When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, that means before the whole church, if you, being a Jew, yes, lives in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? So that's a little bit, that's kind of like a tongue twister. <laughs> but basically he's saying um, that, Peter is a Jew, and he lives in the manner of Gentiles. That means that he was sitting among them habitually and eating with them and allowing them to partake in the ministry of the church. And he says, if you do that, then why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? Paul was saying there's an incongruency here. You're, you're saying one thing and doing another. And so um, Peter's withdrawal caused a public scandal. I want you to realize that. It wasn't just a few people that had fallen away. Um, in fact, I think it's Galatians that says, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from the faith. And so, um, because Peter's, because Peter's um, withdrawal was public and it caused a scandal, Paul had to confront Peter openly in order to squash the scandal. Does that make sense? Because he could have talked to Peter in a private way, but that may not have stopped the uh, perversion of the gospel. So Paul had to do what he did. So was Paul angry? You know, was he, a, was he an angry soul? You know, was he, uh, you know, I don't think so. I think he did that out of passion and out of his love for the church. And I think he knew that the church was going downhill. <laughs> I think he saw that there was a split, and he wanted to 
he wanted to fix that split before it had gone too far. Um, <clears throat> so Paul's message, and I want you to get this, was that the Gentiles should not be required to become Jews for salvation. That the Gentiles could still, without circumcision, could become Christians. Now, Paul goes on, and I won't get into this, but in chapter, I believe it's chapter 3 and 4, I think Sister Dyer is going to maybe teach that next week. Or, okay, Paul, <laughs> pastor. And he talks about, you'll find out when it's on the flyer, let me tell you that. Okay. Um, Paul uh, talks about... Um, In chapter 3, that Abraham, he goes back to Abraham, and that's where a lot of Paul's theology comes from, is he says that that if we go for, actually, Abraham lived like 430 years before Moses. And so Paul was saying um, that the Jews don't have to be circumcised because Paul, because Abraham predates the law of Moses. So I told you I wasn't going to get into that, but that that will be for a later chapter. Now let's look at verses 15 through the end of the chapter here. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. All right. You know, in I think it's Second Peter, Paul says, or Peter says of Paul, I think it's Second Peter, he says some of the things that Paul says is very hard to understand, okay? Peter says that. And so this is one of those, uh, this is one of those passages. But I want you to get the core of this. The core is if you, let's change the word law into instruction because the actual word law here is Torah or Torah. And what he's saying is that the law or the instructions are not required now that Jesus has come. In other words, um, people, me, you, are not, we're not set we're not saved because of the works that we do. We're not saved because we keep festivals. We're not saved because we're circumcised or uncircumcised. We're not saved because we keep a new moon festival or because we sacrifice at the temple or any of these things. Those are what Paul considers works of the law. They were necessary as long as we were under the law of Moses. But Paul is saying with the, with, when Jesus came, he changed all that. Now, Paul will go on to say, we don't throw the law away or cast it out because we, we want to follow the moral law. But he says, we don't have to necessarily be in bondage or encumbered by the laws of Moses. And he says that man is not justified by the works of the law. That means that we can't be saved by the things that we do. So. Um, and I, I want to tread lightly here because there's some things that we do that I think that we 
sometimes add to our salvation. And we got to be very careful about that. That Paul, for Paul, it is salvation or justification by faith through Jesus alone. And I really think that some of us, I, let me speak for myself, I am uncomfortable with that. I really have a hard time believing that church attendance is not a part of that. Or that tithing is not a part of that. Or all the other things that I do that are Christian and religious is not a part of that. Now, I'm not saying that those things are wrong. I'm saying all those things can be blessings. We can get blessings from coming to church and tithing. But when we say that I must come to church in order to be saved, then you've got a problem. Because then you've added something to salvation, which is by Jesus Christ, Grace through faith alone. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. And, it is almost, and, I, and it's almost too simple. And I think it, it can rub us the wrong way because of its simplicity. But that is the simplicity of the gospel. And I think that's the problem of the Judaizers. Is they, they wanted to say, or the, the agitators, whatever you want to call them, they wanted to say, okay, great. We believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and add to that that you, that you follow the law of Moses. None of that is wrong. None of that's bad. If you want to follow the law of Moses, you might be more sanctified than me, you know? But according to Paul, he's saying that, that in, if, you want, if, you have, if you are going to follow the law, you've got to follow all of it or none of it at all. That's what Paul is saying. Now, I want to leave you with a little comfort here, because I also think Paul has this understanding that the laws of God are written on our heart, that the Ten Commandments, that we, in fact, I think it's First uh, John that says, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you don't have need for anyone to teach you anything. It's this idea that the law of God is written on our hearts. We know not to murder and steal and do these things. In fact, Paul is saying, and he says in Galatians, that we fulfill the law of Christ by loving our neighbor as ourself. And if you want to read in Philippians, Philippians has a really good passage um, in chapter 2 that says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, any love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others, now listen to this, to count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, so we have, I'm, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I am about to land the plane. But the, we have a whole what do you call it, psychology that says you need to love yourself more than anyone else, but yet the Bible just told me that we're to put others before we put ourselves. So, you know, I'm not saying don't love yourself. That's, you know, you want to you have some kind of self-esteem. <laughs> but I am saying that we, I think in 2022, we sometimes put a little emphasis on modern day psychology and we kind of mix it up with Bible. And it's like, no, they're, they're different. They're totally different. So 
the last few verses, chapter 2, verses 17 through 21, let's read these together. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So here it's clear that, that no righteousness could come from the law, that, that only being put right with God comes through Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ. These last verses are the most memorable. Many of us already have this memorized by heart. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not, I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. And we have to, we don't, I don't think we have a good understanding of crucifixion. It was a, it was a horrible death. It, you weren't really designed to die that first day. They really wanted you to kind of linger a little bit. And here it says, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, I've, I've died the, like, the most horrible death there is to die. It doesn't say that I was stoned or I was, you know, any of the other ways you could die. It says I was crucified with Christ. What other, how powerful that word is in terms of sanctification, that, that we could be made pure and holy through the, the crucifixion of, of Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I think that's the core of Paul's theology. He says that it, I'm not alive anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. And Christ is the one who, it's not the law, it's not the works that I do, but it's being right with Christ that makes me right with God. And, and I think we all want to be right with God. And... um. It's just simple to do. You just put your faith in, in Jesus. And I know, that, I know that there's a tendency to add stuff to that. But ask, you know, ask God this week, God, have I added anything to your grace? Is there, is there anything that I'm adding to, to think that I'm going to be a super Christian or um, I'm going to fulfill all the, all the commands and all the, all the things that you've got? I mean. That's a sincere question. How, how do we add to God's grace? And if we've added something, if the Holy Spirit shows you something this week, ask that he remove that from you. Ask, God, let's take that away from me. Help me to be a new person. And maybe Jesus might say, well, you need to be crucified. And then what are you going to say? <laughs> yes, Lord, do, what you, do your will. What, what is that? Have thine own way, Lord. You know, just mold me and make me after your will. While I am waiting, patient and still, I forget some of the words. But let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Dear Lord, thank you, God, for tonight. And thank you, Lord, for 
the word of Galatians. God, we thank you that um, Paul was able to get that stamp of approval from the apostles and that he, when he had to, he um, opposed Peter to his face. And God, we ask that we would, um, if you give us a word like that, that we would be bold and not to be fearful like Peter, who pulled back um, from what he knew to be the truth. Lord, give us um, a heart of truth, God. Let us believe that with our heart that salvation comes through faith by your grace alone and that we don't have to add anything else to that to make you happy, that you're happy when we put our faith in you. And Lord,